0: I think Dave's going to go clean the yeah, toilets. I'm Dave, fine with that. Dave's going to throw that.
1: the first pitch out after oh. 50 Cent. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I got to follow 50 Cent. Oh, man.
0: Two fans, one mission to bring Major League Baseball to Oregon. Powered by the Portland Gear Store and Guardian Games. This is the Diamonds and Roses Podcast. And without further ado, your hosts, Ben and David.
2: I'm Ben. And I'm Dave. And I'm Gus. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to, to the, the Diamonds and Roses and podcast.
0: We back, Dave.
2: What's going on? It's good to be back in the Juster studio. Um, we've got a, a bunch of great episodes coming up, and we've got a major player in uh, Northwest Baseball with us tonight.
0: Yeah, we do. I'm Gus Farah. What's going on, Gus? Uh,
1: Well, thank you for having me, first of all. I am the general manager of the West Coast League uh, newest edition in Richfield, Washington, the Richfield Raptors. And I appreciate you guys making the time to uh, help me spread the word. As to what's happening in Southwest Washington with baseball,
0: yeah, this is very exciting this year. We have a new baseball team in Southwest Washington, go along with the other eleven teams that are in the West Coast League. So um, it's really nice to see Richfield uh, accept a new team and uh, to get them on the podcast. So and,
2: and West Coast League baseball, having learned a little bit about it over the last few months. Um, A a really cool uh, expansion edition. uh, What what the uh, what the group is doing collectively. Pretty cool opportunities for for some local players, um, opportunities for fans, uh, casual fans and not so casual fans who are interested in some quality baseball. Um, I'm excited about the summer.
0: I am too. It's going to be a great summer. It's going to be a great time for the West Coast League. So let's jump right on into this episode and let's uh, talk with Gus a little bit about his background. And Gus, as we usually do, we we talk a little bit about your background, kind of where you came from. And then in our second episode with you, we'll talk more about Richfield Raptors and kind of where we're going from there. Current
2: developments and uh, all that.
0: All right. Well, um,
1: I have been in the media world in Portland and uh, Southwest Washington for the last 25 years. Uh, Spent 17 years, 17 and a half years with uh, radio, uh, being on the sales side, general sales manager and running some radio stations from the revenue side. Uh, I left there and went to the Portland Trailblazers where I became a sales manager in the sponsorship department. Um, And I spent seven years there. And all of a sudden, this opportunity uh, came up through a friend of mine who um, was looking to become a partner in the new expansion in Ridgefield. Uh, we also own the Callous Black Bears oh, okay. in Longview. yeah. So we have two teams in the West Coast League. Uh, <clears throat> our immediate focus right now for me is definitely in Ridgefield. So I went over in July and I took, uh, took over the job of general manager. And that might sound glorious, but it's a little mm-hmm. bit of everything. Including, uh, it's every hat, you know, it's accounting, it's cleaning the stadium, it's uh, advertising, it's sponsorship, yeah, Yeah. sponsorship, ticket sales, those things are going really well, Uh, but anyway, that's how I ended up there, and uh, you know, I'm really tickled right now because uh, the reality is, is that I get to go to work every day and uh, do something that I love, number one, which is just the pureness of baseball. Um, I have a 17 year old who plays in high school and hopefully he's going to go on to college and play. And that's just a part of our life. Mm-hmm. So I get to do that now. And, uh, you know, I don't have to take myself that serious, but make a difference for the community for Southwest Washington and, uh, bring some baseball so that you guys can enjoy it. And hopefully someday one of you, two can, uh, or both of you can throw out a first pitch. Oh yeah. I don't know which one of you two can
0: handle it. Maybe combine. Oh, we're going go, to right? go like 35 miles an hour combined. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, we put our two. We'll do a relay. one yeah. of you, you can stand <laughs> halfway to home. The, the real 12 twelve six. That'll be <laughs> us out there. Legit. We, we taught Ephus the twelve yeah.
0: six. Yeah. Um. One of the things I really want to get in is take a step back into history and ask: Did you play baseball as a youth? And I did. I um, I grew up
1: with it. Um, you know, my family came here from Cuba when mm-hmm. I was three years old. Really, and. Um, we, uh, you know, it was in our blood, I guess. My dad, for sure, was a baseball fan. Um, taught it to us. And, yeah, played all the way through high school. Um, had a pretty major injury that kept me anything playing anything after that. But loved it and always grew up with it. And then I've got this boy, like I said, of 17 years old that I've coached, you know, since he was six years old. Mm-hmm. Just because I loved it. Wanted to be around it. So, yeah,
2: I, I would say it's in my blood and something that I'm really passionate about. So early on, did you guys, did you, did you start out here in the Northwest or did you make your way here?
1: No, we, uh, we moved right to Portland, which is weird. Uh, December 27th of 67. Okay. Uh, that wasn't normal for a lot of the Cubans that were immigrating here, but we had a relative, we had two, my, I had two aunts here, my dad's younger sisters, and we were able to just, uh, we needed to go somewhere and we wanted to get to work. So we just came to Portland and all lived together. 11 of us came over at the same time large uh, largest refugee group to come together to portland at that time oh. in one group uh parents got to work two jobs for seven years just to you know try and just take care of the the basic needs uh just to be a normal middle class family that's you know that's what i learned hmm. hard work um And, yeah, we came straight to Portland and stayed here. But December 27th must have felt a little bit weird weather-wise coming from the island. So, yeah.
0: What was that transition like for you as an individual coming from Cuba to the United States?
1: Well, I mean, there's a lot of angles I could share, you know, but I think that just kind of a basic one that I think about a lot is that, you know, my parents didn't speak English. And, you know, they... They were treated whatever the way they were treated by other people depending on how nice people were. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up and I learned both. So I spoke Spanish which we still do at my mom's house. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know my parents didn't have that advantage at first and you know I basically became their mouthpiece okay. you know to go to the store, go to Fred Meyer and say, you know can you ask the can you ask the clerk this? Uh, can you tell them that? and that was a lot of uh you know pressure on a young kid to feel different it felt different you know it didn't seem normal but um you know the pride of what my parents were doing and just trying to build us up to just give us the few things we had uh you know was worth it um but yeah i mean it was a different uh upbringing you Mm -hmm. know uh the culture was different my parents were used to uh raising kids in a different culture um and you know there was um There was just a lot of adjustment that they had to go through to accept that they lived in America. And, hey, we're proud to be American. And, you know, we naturalized as soon as we were able to. Um, And my parents, you know, will tell you that they being American is a big pride point for them. But at first it was just different and difficult, you know, a little bit.
2: But I wonder, you know, it's interesting. You talk about being the intermediary, basically the communicator in those communication skills and expectations that you were kind of forced to work on as a kid, probably play a role in your position now and in your career now. And, you know, uh, wh- whether you, you actively think about it or not. Right. Who knows? Yeah. You're, you're a product of your environment. Right. That expectation of uh, and you, you had to you kind of had to do that at a young age.
1: Well, I always uh, I always kid around and say that, you know, I, I took a little bit from both parents. Uh, my dad passed away four months ago, oh. so that's been a big adjustment for us. But, you know, he was uh, he was not doing well for a while, and he's now resting at least. But, you know, I always kid around and say that I got a little bit of both, my parents. My mom's this big-hearted, uh, caring uh, collaborator hmm. uh, who brings consensus to the table. And my dad was a very uh, uh, stoic, more logical uh, X's and O's kind of person mm-hmm. so yeah i got both you know i mean you can't succeed in 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 this world of media marketing advertising for 25 years if you're not uh, chameleon if you don't know how to yeah. you got to treat uh the ceo the same that you at times treat the janitor it's all important and you know to be able to still have relationships with brands like uh les schwab uh dick Hanna after 20 years Uh, You know, that those are some points that I'm really proud of that it just speaks to the trust that we've been able to build together. Uh, But that takes authenticity and and um, being really uh, committed to relationship. Wow.
0: What point did you get into baseball, the youth?
1: Well, if you're going to give me a chance, I'm going to tell you then. Uh, it's it's always cool. I know you guys are jumping on the bit to tell your baseball stories. I can just tell. No, I mm. want to hear your yeah. stories. Uh, we, we, up, we'll, we'll be lying plenty later. Yeah, yeah, you, you guys have probably already told all your yeah. stories. Um, yeah. I grew up in North Portland. Okay. Uh, so we lived in St. John's area, Roosevelt kid. uh No, I went to Central Catholic. Oh, okay. That was just a commitment my parents oh, okay. had gotcha. to it to gotcha. uh, my education. But uh, I played at Portsmouth Little League. Uh, very, very competitive Little League. Uh, way, way, uh, uh, never got its due for how good it was. Uh, but we, uh, my 12-year-old year, we were the first District 1 Little League champions out of Portsmouth. That's cool. But we had knocked on the door 100 times. We just couldn't ever mm. do it. So that was really my first uh, very exciting uh, point of pride of, hey, Little League in Portsmouth, Little League, was able to win the District uh, from there, you know, we just showed a lot of successes as a team, as a group. We had a lot of talented kids, um, and um, you know that led into high school at Central Catholic, uh, where you know I I had a few skills. Um, I just loved it. It was it's a good team sport for me. For me, it was something that I could identify with. Um, what was it's a very mental game yeah um, not that I'm that disciplined all the time mentally like that but it's a very mental game and it also requires a lot of self-confidence uh, where you know you lose seven you lose seven out of ten times yeah. and you're still bat 300 and you're still good mm-hmm. so it's just a it's it's got a lot of negativity to it that you have to work through um, and you have to be confident about, but that's kind of where the bug buy, got, you know, the bug buy, uh, was able to bite me, which was when I was just in little league and I just really found it to be a great, great um, opportunity that really taught me some lessons that have, I think stuck with me, mm-hmm. you know, and who knew that I was going to be back at making a business out of
0: baseball. <laughs> what position were you playing? Uh, started out with a little catcher
1: and then a shortstop in second base, little pitching in little league. And as I moved to high school, um, I was developed more uh, physical skill, and I played center field the first three years mm-hmm. in high school. Then I had a very traumatic shoulder injury okay. that pretty much just uh, ended uh, you know, a lot of those dreams, and it was time to focus on something else to make sure that we could get a job and yeah. pay our bills.
0: <laughs> yeah. Every guest that comes on, Dave and I like to ask them, When you were growing up, what was the one player or players that you kind of idolized or looked up to and wanted to uh, take after?
1: You know, I mean, I I grew up in an era with Pete Rose, Mm. you know, Charlie Hustle, um, just again, loved the way he played the game. Um, Then there were these calm guys like Steve Carlton that I'd never understood because that wasn't my personality, but he just looked so calm. And he was so dominant. Um, you know, as time went on, you know, I really was a Barry Bonds fan and still am. I uh, just think that to hit that little baseball on that bat that many times that far is just not easy. Um, loved Jose Canseco. You know, big, strong, could run, could hit, uh, you know, 30-30 guy. That's mm-hmm. that's that's different. Yeah. You know, 30-30 is definitely different. But, you know, I grew up with a big, big red machine. Um, you know, some of the connection I had to baseball because of my dad was that, you know, there were, as people immigrated from Cuba and came to the States, you know, baseball was an important part of their life as it is still there now. Um, but you know, I remember trips to LA to go visit one of my dad's best friends growing up just to go stay in touch with them. And, you know, he knew Tony Perez and, you know, he would say to my dad, hey, does your son want a autograph ball from the Big Red Machine? Well, I didn't know what that was. My dad yeah. didn't know what that was, but I've got... I'll take it. <laughs> I've got a baseball with Joe Morgan and Pete Rose and Dave Concepcion and Johnny Bench and Temporous. Don Gullett. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, all these guys. And And so there was this, again, this connection of their heritage of Cuba.
0: Mm-hmm. And baseball is super important to the island. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, we had Larry Colton on just recently, yeah. and he talked about his first experience in the major leagues, and he pitched two innings, <laughs> and he first person first, first he pitched against was Pete Rose, and yeah. then the next inning, he pitched against Johnny Bench. I think he got Johnny to ground out, but Pete hit a two uh, double off him. Yeah, off the fence. i always,
1: yeah. always intrigued, you know, with people like Dave Kingman. Yeah. Uh, that's just kind of an anomaly to me. You know, a guy that was just, it was so much fun to watch him strike out 10 times and hit the ball once. Um, but
2: Pete, Pete and Kavili later on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Mike Schmidt was just a stud. Yeah. Um, so yeah, kind of old school that way, you know, my kid doesn't know about these guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, met Randy Myers the other day oh, cool. at the Northwest Coachings Conference and had an hour conversation with him. And mm-hmm. I asked my boy Luke to take a picture with him after I was done talking to him. So he did. And then I sent him, I sent Luke the picture and I said, Hey, look this guy up, you know, cause I knew he didn't know who he was. <laughs> well, 347 saves. So it's it's a, you know we're talking about players that to me um, were just such studs in a different time yeah. Um, but you know these kids have their own uh, idols and people they look up to and I get it. Mm-hmm. Nice yeah. to see Edgar go into
0: the hall. Yeah, yeah that, that was, was great. That, well deserved. Yeah and congratulations mm-hmm. to him. Uh, yeah. Messina. And who else? It, it'll
2: give the Mariners something to talk about yeah. this year because it certainly isn't going to be baseball.
0: Mario, you talk about saves, Mario Rivera. Yeah. Like 642 or yeah.
2: something. First unanimous, yeah. First
0: unanimous. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. I
1: think that, you know, baseball is a game of uh, tradition. It's also a game of, yeah, records. Um, but I think longevity speaks really yeah. well to a lot of things in baseball that if you can do it for a long time, and you can do it at that level, like Mariano Rivera. That's, that's crazy.
2: Yeah. Sustainability Edgar too, you know, yeah. in terms of that, that's, that's what they're looking for. So in terms of, uh, kind of, kind of change of path with the injury, we'll kind of, uh, talk about some, some kind of explorations and life experiences after that.
1: Well, I'll keep them clean. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, um, are we, uh, are we NC 17 or are we G today? We're G. Oh, okay. Well, thank yeah,
0: you. yeah. No, okay. we'll keep it G
1: off air. NC seventeen. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Um, You know, being that I came with the, you know, I was going to be the first one to go to college. Okay. Right. So I spent some time in college and it just wasn't something that at first was Mm -hmm. easy for me. Uh, I wasn't focused on it, you know, to be honest. Um, And I ended up going and then working and then going. And finally, my dad came to me one day and he said, if you're going to work, just work, you know, but let's not stay stuck in the middle here. So, um, you know, the education part of it was something that I continued to kind of dabble in, but it was time to get to work Gotcha. and I had just had some influential jobs, uh, one being at us bank, you know, my oh. aunt Delia got me a job at us bank and I uh, was the assistant motor pool attendant, which oh. meant that we had 700 cars in a fleet, of ve- a fleet of vehicles throughout seven States. We bought them, we maintained them, we washed them, we gassed them. Um, and we we basically rented them out or gave them to the employees of the bank so they could go use them and do bank business. And I got to meet the CEO because he had a car. I got to meet the security, the head of security. I mean, it just gave me from the bottom to the top. Uh, the, it forced me to be confident in my personality and myself. And mm-hmm. my I had to trust myself because yeah. I was really wearing I was wearing a shirt that said Gus. But I was dealing with everybody, including the CEO, that really required a little bit of composure. But that's my family, you know. They taught me that. Um, And then from there, you know, I just moved on. I found a project that was called Super Sports Club. It was a fundraiser for amateur athletics, and it was run at sixty-two KGW uh, radio station. Um, And I gained some responsibility there, and I learned a little bit more about about sales of sponsorships. Um, I was also around a professional sales staff that was showing me the way a little bit. And um, yeah, so from there, I realized that, hey, I might be able to get into radio. And I did. I started in radio um, in 96. And um, next thing you know, I'm, you know, in 98, becoming the general sales manager of 107.5 107.5 The Beat. Oh, yeah. 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 Wow. 107.5 The Beat, which then turned into uh, Mix 107.5. Yeah. Largest radio launch maybe in the history of Portland Radio. It just went crazy big. Um, and so I just I went along this path with some really good mentors um, at the radio stations. And uh, next thing you know is that's kind of my education kind of. Cool. Um, and then, you know, somebody told me once that if you're not going to go to school and I tell any kid this... If you're not going to go to school and you're not going to finish right away, it's going to take you 10 years to really gain some traction to be able to catch up with, you know, uh, the education, the preparation and the finances that you're going to make uh, in those first 10 years. And sure enough, it took me a while, but um, I guess I wouldn't do it any other way at this point. But I do encourage my kid. It might
0: be an easier way. Yeah. Did you ever get on the mic when you are at the radio stations? Nah, I got interviewed a few times, you know, uh, Chad Dewing. Oh, yeah. Uh, Yeah. You
1: know, one time interviewed me because with the subject of Cuba and baseball and Fidel came up and he wanted my opinion. You don't want my opinion on that. It's uh, it's a it's a fail. We do. It's a failed project. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's just a lot of families got hurt. A lot of people got hurt, um, both Mm -hmm. physically and mentally. A lot of broken families, Mm -hmm. a lot of uh, tragic. I've seen a lot of tragedy and loss and sorrow. From what is a failed communism system, but anyway, so yeah, so Chad interviewed me on that. Um, overall, though, my job was to stay off the mic and make money, yeah. and bring money to the table so we can keep those keep all the resources we needed at the station to be able to operate appropriately. Yeah, at a level that was really you know good for
0: us. And I thought that at some point you worked for CBS. Radio? Yeah,
1: well, CBS, was, you know, there were there were multiple ownerships. Uh, radio was going through consolidation. In 96, when I first got involved, Mm -hmm. I started with intercom for a very short period of time, kind of a kind of I don't know, wasn't my proudest moment. But I started on April Fool's Day and I uh, left there on August uh, 13th, Friday, August 13th, and not my proudest moment, but I had an opportunity I had to run for. And I knew that at that point I better stay with the next job much longer. And I stayed there 17 years so. Wow. Yeah, so I did my part on that. But uh, when I first, so I left Intercom, which was KGON, um, I went over and um, American uh, Radio Systems owned uh, KUFO um, 107.5. We just bought it from uh, a person out in Banks, Oregon, that had a a signal up on his roof Hmm. of a barn. And it was called the Spirit. It was a religious station. And uh, to, to put in perspective what consolidation looked like at that point, that was a $15 million signal that we bought. What? <laughs> and yep.
2: he wow. did, did this person. He had no idea. Or no.
1: No? I mean, yeah. it was just consolidation was happening. And, huh. and oh. the government had opened up mm-hmm. a new... Uh, antitrust laws of being able to allow people to own more stations and people were just climbing on to buying as many as they could you were knocking down a lot of money to the bottom line on these stations at that time then what happened is like any business um, as time went on uh, CBS bought American Radio Systems they bought a lot of things they were buying and uh, then CBS sold and uh, now they're out of the radio business. They just sold the last piece of their portfolio to Intercom. Um, but what happened is people got stuck with debt now because, you know, there came a point where everything was easy. Everything was given a good cash return. But, man, at some point, people got stuck holding the bag with a lot of debt by purchasing a lot of stations. Yeah. And now you can't get out of the way of it. Now it's too
2: late. So, they overestimated it. Huh? Yeah. Mid, mid to late 90s. Well, you couldn't get enough of it. Yeah. Huh.
0: So, what do you think of the podcast world versus the radio world? Because you're clearly interviewing with us on the podcast, and you know we're not live on radio, but. I think of it is, we're recording this, we're going to put it out, people will be able to listen to it for here on and out. Well,
1: first of all, you have a million listeners, so
0: I love that. It's
1: supposed to be funny. <laughs> like,
2: Sweet. That's Sweet. quite a range. Wow. That's, that's quite a like... spike in the last week, though. I appreciate that. <laughs> that's what I told my mom tonight. Oh, good, good. Well, I, t- I tell my parents that, too. Like, yeah. I try I to tell myself that. I, I say just under a million. I like, could tell under, my mom yeah. 10 and she wouldn't care. She still loves me. Yeah. right? That's
1: awesome. Um <laughs> But, you know, the I, I'm, I grew up being a radio guy. I love radio. Yeah. I just know that it's used. It's how you use it. Um, everything's about usage and everything's about content. So, you know, the way I found you guys and we found each other, right, was just through Twitter. Yep. I'm curious about what the heck you guys were doing. So I'm paying attention. We start communicating. Ben and I go back and forth just on a personal message mm-hmm. on Twitter. And, um, you know, I'm a 54-year-old guy, so it's not like I'm Mr. Social Media. Yeah. But I'm curious about what this is because I'm trying to promote my business with the Richfield Raptors. And, um, you know, what I what I have come to learn about podcast is that, um, you know, I used to have a saying in radio. Some stations were very broad. You know, a, a country station or a classic rock station is very wide. It has a lot of people from a lot of different uh demographics geographies right it's kind of a catch all but then we had a station once ourselves that was a jazz station and i used to say that that river was very deep but not very narrow it was very narrow and deep it wasn't very wide yeah so i think podcasts can be that way Mm -hmm. where you know you're searching out the podcast you like because you're interested in something Yeah. yeah And so I'm interested in baseball. I'm interested in promoting my team. You guys are interested in baseball. So, you know, that's where I can land on something like this. Mm -hmm. But if I also want some financial advice, I don't go to you guys. That's a good thing. Yes. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) It'd be like us in the basement. (laughs) Yeah. That's why we're in the basement. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You're not Dave Ramsey. (laughs) No. 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 But yeah, no. So I think the podcast, you know, it's all about delivery of content. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Radio was the place. And part of what the radio world uh, really uh, was special for was local delivery. It was the weather. It was the news. It was what events going on, what county fair, etc. Um, and then radio was purchased by these big companies, which is run, which hmm. are running contests out of Las Vegas or New York for their whole system of all radio stations in the country. They're not just talking about Portland so that's what it lost a little bit the last few stations that are trying to do it locally you know that's what they're hanging their hat on Mm -hmm. but then you got digital music you know and you got uh you know uh uh, satellite radio um then you got uh you know then the advertising pie was broken up again with um um delivery of social and digital media
2: right
1: and then that's kind of where that podcast came in, yep. right? If you're a good radio station, you better have a good podcast. You know, so a it, it podcast is a steady, you need it, even if you are a mainstream media partner like a radio station, because your stuff is going to be played on air, but at the end of the day, it needs to be archived somewhere so that I can go do it and pick it up and use it and listen to it on my time.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's a culture shift around the world and there's a culture shift here. Yeah. People want to access it when they want to access it. And that's just an expectation now, you know, which, um, who was it? Somebody told us that podcasts it's, it's sustainable and it's not just a flash in the pan. I mean, this is going to be, this medium is going to be around a while.
0: Yeah. I think
1: that was, um, 75% of all statistics are made up. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it was Bill uh, Gates. I can't so, remember yeah, who it was, but yeah. you know, I looked at it statistically, and it's they, what they talked about reading the, the information was: is that a lot of people will listen to a podcast on their commute, and generally speaking, a commute is anywhere from twenty to forty-five minutes. So you got this window that you work with to bring quality content to people, because, like you just said, they're they're out there physically going out and saying i want to listen to this specific podcast and that's why and so you got to deliver that content and you know we had andrew on one of our listeners hi andrew yeah. and he listens to so you know when he's at work at times he got his headphones on doing work and listen to us and he's not like, sure
2: why but he does thanks yeah. andrew
0: <laughs> andrew's not bored is he um i don't know i hope not
1: <laughs> <laughs> no i mean guy? i think this the, the telephone is all is what the race is on for and has been on right yeah. who's going to win the telephone uh, because I can get everything through there. Yeah. I can yeah. get everything through my cell phone, right? Yeah. And uh, including your podcast. Yeah. And my life is run by snippets of news and information. Mm-hmm. You know, I can catch it on TV when I get home on cable or whatever. And I can watch, you know, 30 minutes of it and get bored with it. Mm-hmm. But I can see it before I even watch it. You know, it's a, it's like the old joke that my one of my roommates um, used to record the World Cup. And... He would say to me, he'd wake me up on his way to work because he'd go before me and he'd say, "Don't even try and tell me what the score is, because I'm going to
2: record it and I'm going to watch it." <laughs> right? Well, I remember that. That's a dinosaur. Good yeah.
0: luck now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's no way. Yeah.
2: So, so 17 years in, what happened? What transition? Talk about the last uh, that that kind of that end period. Radio. Yeah, with with, with you and yeah. Your um, world.
1: Man, I'm going to get dark here for a second. That's so okay. I'm gonna, you're, you're trying to find out who I am, right? Yeah. Um, you so, you know, things got hard. Uh, you know, the pie, the advertising pie was starting to break up more mm-hmm. and more. Um, radio had it its way. You know, TV was always the glory, mm-hmm. you know, of where the budgets went. But radio was close behind it. And then all of a sudden, you saw radio start slipping. Uh, Portland used to be a um, $135 million radio business a year. Mm for all stations and it probably is about 75 now wow. so you know a lot of people got hurt along the way uh, not only owners but the employees salespeople yeah that were making a lot of money and then had to take an adjustment right
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, so it was just getting more difficult um, for me you know it came at a cost which was the cost was the human cost of what we had to do to drive our people to continue to do uh, their work at a high level And I'm willing to drive. I'm a good, you know, my leadership skills are to drive and to get enthusiasm and consensus and build collaboration. But at some point when you're just having to break somebody's back to try and get the result, uh, there's a cost that I just I wasn't comfortable with anymore. Mm. I didn't know how to explain it at that time, but that's really what it was. Then I went through a tragedy. Uh, My stepson passed away seven years ago. Mm. He overdosed and uh, my family was a mess. It was just, you know, destroyed. And I didn't know how to, um, I didn't know how to go on, you know, because for my wife, it was uh, like chopping her left arm off. It was just really, really, really impossible. And I get that. Um, The statistics of of couples staying together after the death of of a child is not good. Hmm. And, you know, that had to become my focus if I wanted to stay around and try and raise this nine-year-old at the time who's 17 now. Um, And I just was, I was committed to that. I was not committed to leaving. And uh, so I had to take a lot of, you know, big steps. And one of them was that I had to try and find some contentness. I had to be content and find some peace in what I did every day. Because I wasn't, I wasn't finding that in radio at that point. And, um, you know, lo and behold, a friend of mine called. He was running the sponsorship department at the Blazers. And, you know, partly helped save my life that way. I went and was given a really nice opportunity at a very good company, um, nice brand. Um, and I wanted to go there with no responsibility. I didn't want to be in charge of anything. I'm not a guy that has to have my ego and my name played on the door. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't have empathy. You got to have empathy to run staff, to manage people. If you don't have empathy you shouldn't be doing it and i didn't have any and i knew that so i stayed away from any leadership roles there i just took care of myself by uh doing my own sales job and it went great you know for the entire time i was there um but then i got this itch you know and, and part of what happened um you know was that i i became sober six years ago so okay. in this transition of uh, the death of a child Trying to save my relationship, I had to make some decisions that really gotcha. uh, were big, and you know it's the best thing I've ever done for my health, for my mind, and I'm a different guy now because I'm I'm very peaceful with you know where I'm at, and who I am, um, but then my gut was talking to me about going to the Raptors, and um, I made the decision without fear and trusting that my partners in in this venture um, are people that can be trusted. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know, kind of long winded there, but.
2: No, it's great. Yeah. I pre- appreciate you the honesty. And wow. thank yeah, you.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's what I think our listeners want to hear is yeah. a different side because what we as a po- podcast, Dave and I, we want to make sure that we're providing content to our listeners that they're not going to hear elsewhere. And, and we try to ask those questions.
1: Well, and, you know, um, some of the things we just talked about, including, you know, my sobriety. Um, do not mean to me. They don't represent any longer any kind of weakness to me. Mm-hmm. It represents that I don't ta- I don't judge other people. It's not my thing. It's not who I am. Um, I still, you know, have the same friends that I had in many cases. Uh, but for me personally, the change is what was necessary. It wasn't It's not for anybody else. Mm-hmm. Don't preach it. Don't look for it. You know. But for me, it saved my life. Yeah and I'm so much better off, so I'm I'm happy.
0: Yeah, and I'm glad for you, and uh, you know, just a quick story to to share, Um, I mean, recently I had to go back to visit my mom and dad because my mom got really, really ill and she almost passed, and a lot of it had to do with her smoking habits, and she had a bad heart because of that, and I think some various other things. And so I was just talking to my mom tonight on the way over here, and she's like, I haven't smoked a cigarette in awesome. almost four weeks now. And she's like, I'm committing not to smoke another cigarette. She's like, I even get around cigarette smoke now, and she's like, I just can't stand it. So, um, you know, it's just... I, I kind of like. It's hard, resisting. you know, it's yeah.
1: hard and, and making a commitment of any sort, shoot, we know about new year's resolutions, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. And they're all broken by now, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. My yeah. last okay. week. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so, you know, it's hard, but you know, uh, for the first time, something gave me enough power to just think about it and to feel comfortable with it. So anyway, not to belabor that a uh, little bit of how, uh, I ended up you know, through the challenges of a job, how hard it was getting landing at a place that felt like it saved my life, making a life decision. Um, And now, you know, I don't like to talk about God a lot, although I believe in God and I I go to church, Um, you know, things have worked out and sometimes you just got to do the right thing and if you treat people correctly and you have long-standing authentic relationships yeah. those will be re, that'll be rewarded back to you and i think that's a lot of what's happening to me is that there's just people that have believed in me and i never crossed the line of trust um of you know not doing what i say i'm going to do from a business standpoint or a personal and that still lives so it's hard you know it's hard because that takes a long time and a lot of practice so
0: when you were the Blazers did you meet Paul Allen at all no you no. Know. I mean we saw
1: Paul uh close as I got was in a conference room having a they were having a board meeting and um no I never met him and I don't think a whole lot of people really you know were in relationship like that with him and what about the players what
0: about them? Did you get to meet?
1: No. I m- mean, you know, the new the new era of uh, NBA anyway, and I can't speak necessarily for MLB because I haven't been around it every day, or NFL, um, but the new era of NBA is that these guys have their own brands now. They're not just a Blazer brand, but they're their own personal brands. Mm-hmm, yeah. um,
2: a little less accessible, maybe.
1: Totally. Yeah. We weren't... You know, it wasn't that we weren't welcomed at the practice facility, but not like the old days where you probably walked out there. You walked in, you said hi, you shot a basket with them. You don't go out there. You know, it's just not part of what Mm -hmm. is um, what is what is expected of you. So there's uh, a distance. You know, it's all managed by uh, PR folks. Um, by...
2: Handlers. Yeah. Well,
1: they have their own handlers, and I'm not going to get into that because I don't know that much about that. But they all for sure have uh, Blazer PR folks that manage their time. And, you know, the accessibility to me or a client or anybody else is really managed by somebody. And it's not just open to me to make that decision. Um, that was a bummer for me. You know, pretty personal, personable guy. Yeah. Love to sit down and talk to somebody.
0: But... Yeah. yeah you're sitting down and you're talking about yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's our whole thing, right? Yeah. Accessibility
2: and, uh, yeah, closing the gap. Yeah. Interesting.
0: Exactly. Well, um, I appreciate you coming on the show, talking Thanks, uh, with us about your, your history. And Thanks, your Gus. past. And uh, I'm very thankful. And, uh, you know, really appreciate you sharing your story with me. I mean, that was pretty you know came from the heart heartfelt and it was really nice to hear kind of like a just breath of fresh wind or yeah. whatever
2: sometimes sometimes we focus on the other stuff and, and we don't necessarily have enough human element so mm-hmm. that was good
1: well I appreciate you guys having me I really do I mean I'm excited for, uh, for what you guys do I think it serves a purpose and uh, if I was able to share a little bit which I did um, about myself
0: and I don't have to leave here feeling bad
2: it's all good.
0: All right. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this particular episode. We're going to be back with Gus again in part two, and we're going to get into the Richfield Raptors. And hear more pl- about
2: planning it. out, planning out Dave Summer, maybe in yes, Ben's Summer, exactly. and our journeys. Um, I think
0: Dave's <laughs> going to go clean the toilets. Yeah, I'm Dave, fine with that. Dave's going to throw that. the first
1: pitch out after oh, Fifty yeah. Cent. Oh.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I got to follow Fifty Cent. Oh man! Yeah. All right. <laughs>
0: Excellent. You can find well, me.
2: You can find me in the club house. <laughs> See what I did there.
0: All right. Well, I'm Ben. I'm Dave. I'm Gus. And uh, thank you for listening. You have a great day. Peace out. Peace out.